This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Austin Audible's podcast. Matt Perry, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Tuesday edition of the show. We're one, may, one more day closer to... Oregon UCLA kicking off at Austin Stadium, 12.30 kick. Uh, Fox broadcast, we now know the channel. Uh, we knew the time, didn't know the channel. Uh, we've had an opportunity to speak with Dan Lanning um, Monday night, uh, late Monday night, and then we came off the practice field, or I should say Jared and Eric came off the practice field. We were able to watch practice there, and then all three of us were at media availability for a defensive approach to interviews and um, let's start with dan first and foremost we got a little bit of clarity and so maybe trending towards positive news on the injury front uh which is probably where we should start yeah brian addison who was not in tucson for a reason that i assume is injury related i don't have any other information it sounds like he will be able to play on saturday or the answer that dan gave was headed in that direction uh, to being available and ready to roll. Uh, Brian, we should note, it was also at Tuesday's practice. He was also at both Tuesday and Wednesday's practices the previous week before Arizona game. So he has not missed any practice time as far as we can tell, but did not play in Arizona. Um, I think you can expect that to be a different case this weekend against UCLA. An all-hands-on-deck situation. I think you need him out there. And then Stephen Jones, according to Dan, is work- still working through some things, but as of Monday, uh, did more than he had uh, to that point previously. So maybe a little bit of positive news with Stephen Jones, but Jones was also not at Tuesday's practice. So if he is getting close, it's not this week. And I think you really will need to see him out at practice, probably for at least two, three days of practice, maybe a full week or so before you have a sense he'll play. So unless we see Stephen out at practice, I still think you expect him to be kind of on the mend. And it's the Marcus Harper uh, at left guard, Ryan Walker, right guard situation for, I think, the foreseeable future until that changes. Now, um, Lanning was obviously fired up for this moment. Um, I think it's interesting that one of the first things he said was it's about to be a fun one. Um, he stressed the importance of Oregon's fan base staying, uh, showing up and then staying through the entirety of the football game. Uh, it, they were playing crowd noise at practice today for what I would assume is probably the defense to get adjusted to a really loud Autzen. Um, and there was some discussion just of, you know, overall how this team's handling game day being in Eugene for the first time since 2018. They played last year at UCLA with game day um, there, but Eric and I were there and that was a game where it was, it wasn't a, raucous atmosphere or anything of that nature this is going to be different um players today talked about that as well just the importance of hey we have a job to do can't get caught too caught up in it because they're playing an opponent offensively at least probably defensively too here guys but offensively this is 
I don't know if we want to say this is the toughest offense they're going to face all season, um, but it's up there. I mean, it it's going to be, you know, from an individual standpoint, and this is maybe our transition point, just DTR, you know, Chabernet at running back, just if you ask Dan the question, you know, off, you know, run game for DTR's passing, it's kind of both that they have to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. And and to the earlier point about the game experience, so Casey Rogers, who's a transfer, said, you know, he never had a game day experience kind of like this in terms of being on the home end of it. And this is why you come to a school like Oregon, these kind of matchups. And, you know, and, and I think as everybody did today from a player's perspective, sort of downplayed its role in the game because it won't play a role in what happened Saturday. But the atmosphere, I think you can expect it to be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty amped up. I would hope. I would hope that the crowd is is ready to go. I hope the student section makes an impressive performance on national television, and and then you you get an opportunity to to for you know, hopefully turn that into some success on the field. But obviously that's secondary to the actual football being played. But you know to your to the point about DTR, I, I think this is um, a really tough matchup. You said most difficult offense Oregon's faced. I think Georgia will remain that. But aside from Georgia, yeah, I think so. Um, to this point, without question, this is tougher than anybody Oregon has faced, in my opinion. I think statistically it, it backs it up. You might not have an offense that's really even comparable until maybe you get into the Washington-Utah weekends. But even those offenses are offenses that, hey, that couldn't match up with USA enough to win the game. So I'll take the Bruins over them. But I, I think the DTR part, you know, Oregon has faced mobile quarterbacks several times this season. Hasn't always gone great. Other times it's gone okay. But you know, I've seen people try to compare DTR to like a Cam Ward. Cam Ward is not a runner like DTR is. I mean, Cam Ward could do some stuff in the pocket and extend plays, but go look at his rush stats this season compared to what DTR does, and it's very different. And I think that brings us to the point that somebody asked us a question on the mailbag yesterday, and then the last point I made about kind of what's the biggest difficulty for Oregon's defense. Is it DTR or is it the run game? And I think the answer is kind of both because I think they're kind of yeah. intertwined. Um, and that's what makes this a difficult matchup is DTR is very integral, you know, integral to what they do running the football. A lot more designed runs, a lot of zone reads where you've got the threat of both the quarterback and the running back um, out there to possibly be the ball carrier. And here's a quote from Dan about DTR as a runner. He says, we haven't really played anybody quite like him, in my opinion. He runs like a backer or a wideout with the ball. So like I said, he can stop and go. He's got great acceleration and speed, does a great job with the ball in his hands. For a team that runs the quarterback as much as they do, he take they take care of the ball. So we have to do a great job of attacking that when we get the opportunity and make sure that we're in position to tackle. I think it's a big challenge. And I think, you know, if you're if you're stressed about one part of this game as an Oregon fan, I think it's just the DTR element. I think he provides a, a unique challenge and a difficult challenge. Um, as a passer, he's really improved from a, from a completion percentage. It's over seven, almost 75% this season. In the last couple of weeks, he's been excellent. So I, I think finding a way to corral him, uh, Morgan players talked about that today. Dan talked a little bit about that. It's, it's difficult. And what makes it, uh, you know, the added component here is it's not just, okay, you can take DTR out of it and UCLA is, is kind of, um, you know, uh, impotent offensively. It's, you know, if you do take him out of it, then you've got Zach Charbonnet to deal with. You've got some speed guys um, like in a Casimir Allen to deal with. You've got a Jake Bobo 
on the outside is a big receiver who can win matchups. They've got a couple tight ends who are tough to deal with. So there are a lot of playmakers in this offense, but it all starts with DTR. And it should start with DTR because he's the most important player of any offense. He plays quarterback, and he's been exceptional this year, and Eric just broke down all the reasons why. Um, and he did a good job of talking about how, yeah, Oregon has played quarterbacks who are mobile, but no one, none of them are a rushing quarterback like DTR is. Um, his ability to escape and break free and, and turn a, a, a five-yard gain into a 15-yard gain is, is a lot different. I mean, he has 231 yards on the ground this year, um, four touchdowns on the ground and a long of 68 yards. Um, Cameron Ward isn't doing that. Um, Stetson Bennett isn't doing that. Jaden Delara isn't doing that as well. Um, I think I think this offense will probably be the best one that they face unless they take on USC in the Pac-12 championship game. I think Utah's is right there as well. I think they prevent or they uh, provide a lot of mismatches to Oregon's defense, and they've shown it this year that they are potent. They are able to move the ball down the field whenever they want. But UCLA has shown that as well. Uh, they did that to Utah two weeks ago. Um, and Utah, I know, is, has been heralded the last few years for their defense, but UCLA had no problem against it. And I think that's just a, a, a combination of, of Chip Kelly finally getting a lot of guys that he wants to get and a more experienced team and DTR being that experienced and being a senior quarterback, a fifth-year senior quarterback in this Chip Kelly system and just learning it all. Um, and I think Dan spoke to that as well about uh, and you know, having that kind of senior quarterback, and he compared him a little bit to Bo Nix about how they both are understanding where to go with the ball, where to not go with the ball. The decision-making process is now different than where it was when they were a freshman or a sophomore or whatever. Um, I think a lot of those things are, are going to add up in this game. Um, defensively, Oregon needs to tackle in space. I talked about this on the, on the Mailbag podcast yesterday. Um, it's huge. I mean, Cam Ward looked like a runner because Oregon couldn't tackle him at points. Um, he was able to scramble and escape, and that turns into a bigger chunk play. If Oregon doesn't tackle DTR, he could take it to the house. Like Dan said, he runs like a running back or a wideout. Uh, he doesn't run like he's a six foot four, 220 pound quarterback. Um, he's, a, he's a small guy. He's agile, he's mobile. Um, that combination fixed in with quick screens or quick slants or something like that from a Chip Kelly offense, um, this is all about perimeter tackling. And it's all about figuring out who has the ball in these RPO situations. Um, I know Chip can get uh, kind of cute with it sometimes, but it works. It, it worked at Oregon. It worked sometimes in the NFL, and it works at UCLA now. Um, this, Yeah, it, it all comes down to perimeter tackling and, and how Oregon can – uh, withhold DTR from getting out and running too often. I think one aspect that could really factor in here is Oregon's productivity on first and second down defensively, because like Jared just ran through the importance of tackling in space, making sure that they, they corral DTR and keep him in the pocket. Don't lose containment because if it's third and three, third and four, and they choose to throw the football and no one's open that that's, Perfect down and distance for DTR to get be you know get past the edge and pick up five or six yards for an easy first down. If it's third and eight, third and nine, third and ten, that allows the defense maybe to to rally to DTR before he has enough time to really get going and get up field to get that first down. So uh, it, it's an, it's going to be important that this defense can corral him and contain him a little bit because. If they don't and they face a lot of third and shorts, 
those are where UCLA converts those third downs. And they are the best team in the conference in third down conversion offensively. Uh, and you look at what Oregon does defensively on third down, they're not one of the better units. Now, some of that's skewed still from week one against Georgia, but the Bruins are pretty good. And DTR is a big factor in that, being able to contain him um, off the edge. Now, when he throws the football, I, I just think this is going to be another one of those games. It feels like we, we say this, guys, every week that, hey, Oregon's secondary is going to face a big test. If they passed last week, I think, against Arizona's guys, the, this is a different unit, a different quarterback. Um, but once again, we're seeing a, a, a UCLA offense that's got a lot of talent at receiver. Uh, Jake Bobo is one of the best receivers in the conference, five touchdowns already this season. And then they've got ample other players, uh, ready to step up, you know, Allen, Iola, uh, Aziki, they've, they've got the players on the outside, be, you know, to, to pair up with Bobo to be pretty lethal here. Yeah, just to your third down point, yeah, Oregon is one of the worst third down defenses, not only in the Pac-12, they are 11th out of 12 teams in the conference there, but but also nationally. Um, and this is this is a down and distance they really need to improve. They're 129th out of 131 teams in third down defense nationally. And as you said, UCLA is uh, tops in the Pac-12 and uh, one of the better units nationally in, in terms of converting it um, offensively. So I, I think... I think it's going to be a real challenge. Um, you know, I think Dan said that they prefer to get off the field 70% of the time or something like that. It's currently at straight up 50% opponent conversions on third. Um, that's a big talking point this week, I think, coming into this one, because as you said, Matt, this is one of the better units at converting on third. So for, for Oregon, you know, we, we've, I, you know, one of the things on Monday we addressed was kind of like what's been the biggest improvement from this year to last year. And I said kind of, you know, in a roundabout way, it's the ability for the team to improve in areas they've showed weaknesses. This is a big opportunity to show some improvement. I think if UCLA is converting at 50 or better percent on third down, it's going to be hard to win this game. I'm not saying they won't win it because I'm expecting this game to be a game where Oregon can do some some things offensively too. And I know those those of us, those listening might be thinking we're kind of doom and glooming, but the point of this podcast is to provide you with kind of the knowledge of what Oregon's up against. And this is a really talented offense that has a lot of different players that can make things difficult on a defense. And it's an Oregon defense that struggled in some of the areas that UCLA has shown um, is pretty competent with. And, you know, I think I'm probably continuing to be more concerned about linebacker than I am with the secondary in this matchup. Yeah. Um, I think the Christian Gonzalez, Jake Bobo matchup will be another really interesting one. Um, I think Arizona's receivers probably are actually more talented top to bottom than what UCLA is going to put out there this year. Um, so I think that's more favorable. And I think Oregon just did a really good job last game. But for me, it's just what can DTR do? And, and I think Zach Charbonnet is maybe and probably is the top running back Oregon's going to face this season. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's that one-two punch and then – the, hey, if you take away DTR on a run, you take away uh, Charbonnet on a run, a lot of these plays have a pass option after that, and that's where things get scary. A lot of these plays, the third option is going to be a Jake Bobo, who's a very capable receiver in his own right. It's going to be mm -hmm. another player who you know maybe gets one-on-one -on -one coverage because you have to put so much attention on a DTR and a Charbonnet 
Um, you know, and one of the things Dan said about kind of defending this is that they, that requires an extra hat to be available and kind of to be monitoring that run game. And that's where you might have a, a situation where, hey, usually you're able to allow a, you know, your nickel or one of your safeties to kind of hang out in coverage and, and maybe bracket somebody. Well, hey, now you've got to chase these guys around. So that's where the pressure comes. That's where it, it potentially gets dangerous. And that's what makes it so tough to defend an offense like UCLA. Um, but I, I continue to think I'm more concerned about like, hey, how well does Noah Sewell and Justin Flo and Jeffrey Bassa play in space against some of these yeah. guys? Can they get off the field? Can they chase players down? Do they have the speed? Do they have, um, you know, can they read these plays well enough? Because as we established in our kind of rundown of the defense to the midway point, shockingly, I think the linebackers have been the worst unit of the, of the group from my perspective. And I think this is a game to really – you have an opportunity to change that that mindset if you can go out and perform well. This is a really big test for that unit. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. This is like you said; it's it's an opportunity for the linebackers to change the narrative that kind of surrounds them going into Week Eight, kind of like the defensive backs did in, in their performance against Arizona. Um, the like what Matt just said. Um, the reason why we hear about how this is going to be a challenge for Oregon secondary on a, on a week to week basis, seemingly, is they haven't shown that they are capable of preventing these these big passing games. Um, Oregon has the worst pass defense in the Pac-12. They allow the most yards per game. Um, and, you know, there was a couple games in there with Georgia, and there was a couple in the, the Washington State game, but um, those weren't necessarily great indications that this defense, this secondary, was ready to play. But then they played against Arizona. They held Jaden Delara to under 250 yards passing. They had a great performance. Um, but like Eric has mentioned multiple times, it's this linebacker core that has had its certainly its ups and downs. Against BYU, I thought they were really good. You know, and BYU is a very pro-style offense that's going to kind of ground and pound or at least attempt to ground and pound a team. And that that's where this linebacker's core is at their is at their strongest. Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, Jackson LaDuke, those guys are downhill run stoppers they have some of the higher grades on rush defense on on pff and again it's pff but it, it does it, you could see it with your own bare eyes that those guys are good at stopping the run um against ucla this is a team like i tried to mention about arizona last week which didn't come to fruition but whatever this is a team that can go east and west and um i think that chip kelly knows this um, I think Chip is a, is a better offensive mind than Jed Fish, my beloved former Patriot quarterback coach. But I think that, you know, this is another week where this could become a, an, an issue. And it didn't happen against Arizona because Oregon schematically ran this 3-3-5 where they got three linebackers on the field and really went for more speed. Um, they might try that against UCLA, but the issue with going with three down linemen or at least three rushers is that uh, UCLA can run the ball. They're one of the best offenses in the Pac-12 in terms of running the ball. And Zach Charbonnet, as we mentioned multiple times, is one of the best running backs in the Pac-12, if not the best. Um, so this is going to be a, a series of a lot of defensive alignments and defensive changes that that Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy and that defensive staff are really going to have to come up and create to try to cover up a potential hole in this defense that might be the linebacking core. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to pose a question just about running backs and, and Zach Charbonnet uh, in, within the league. Hey. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Um, to continue that Zach Charbonnet discussion that Jared was talking about, both Jordan Riley, uh, Oregon starting defensive lineman, and Brian Bennett, I think everyone knows his name for sure, starting safety for Oregon. Throughout Brian that, Bennett. Zach, or, Brian, did I say Brian Bennett? You said Brian Bennett, yeah. And he was a, then then mentioned everybody knows who this is, and I don't think anybody knows who. Brian well, Bennett. no, I think Bennett a lot of, is the quarterback at Oregon a long time ago. I think a lot of people know who Brian Bennett is, but also realize he hasn't been at Oregon for like seven years. Yes. Oh boy, Bennett Williams. Uh, there we boy. go. Um, both threw out the idea that Zach Charbonnet, in their eyes, is the talented, most talented running back they've faced to date, or will be the most talented running back they face this season. Um, a, I, I think that's probably the correct assessment. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't see someone better than him on Oregon's schedule. You could maybe argue Travis Dye if they face USC in the Pac-12 championship game, but I might lean more towards Charbonnet anyways. Um, but this is maybe the... The, one of the games, air quotes, between within the game here. Um, Charbonnet and Bucky Irving at Oregon, will, they will not be on the field at the same time. But we spent so much of this of this podcast talking about DTR and threat that the offense to run past that he brings. We could see maybe two of the better running backs duel it out. And if Bucky has – this type of a, of a big performance to, to equal or surpass Charbonnet, maybe that door is open for Bucky to maybe get into that discussion as one of the best running backs in the conference. Yeah, no, I, I remember last week, and obviously there have been more grades since from PFF, but these were not only the top two running backs in the conference from a PFF perspective, but two of the top four nationally. I think Charbonnet just had – Bucky's grade. Jared, I wonder if you can pull up and see how it's changed in the time since. I know Jaden Ott was like number five, but he had a tough game uh, against Colorado. He was number five in the country, but third in the conference, but he had a really tough game against Colorado last week. I kind of wonder where things stack up now, but uh, yeah, this is a, a great, I think it's a good assessment, Matt. I think Charbonnet, from a statistical perspective, is the top running back in the conference. and that, That's not, I think, that's a fact. He's averaging 123 yards per game, he is second only to Bucky in yards per attempt at 7.1. Bucky's at 7.2. Uh, he's second only, sorry, well, second among running backs only to Travis Dye in rushing touchdowns. Um, Bo Nix has eight. He's leading the conference this year. Um, actually, now I'm seeing Cameron Davis of Washington, yeah. way down the list, has nine. Uh, so he's actually leading the, the conference in rushing touchdowns. But regardless, Charbonnet has been one of the more um, effective this year. And if you combine this year to last year, he is the leading rusher um, over the last two seasons. So now about a season and a half in the conference, he is he is your top dog. So I, I think that assessment is fair. And I think you also bring up a good point of uh, if 
if uh, Bucky can outperform him or have some runs that stand out, this is an opportunity on national stage to show himself. Um, again, I, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to make my prediction of over 100 yards because I've failed every time so far. He hasn't gotten there yet. <laughs> And uh, but I got to keep doing it. I got to keep going there, huh? I don't know. I, I've already sworn off him from a certain Gone point. Gone to the well once many times. Yeah, yeah I'm, I've got. I'm a little snake bit, but I. I just think the upside there is, is is really high with this being a really fun game on the ground. Um, you know, I think there'll be plays made through the air, but I think there could be some really dynamic run plays with both these guys playing. And um, as Matt said, I think an opportunity for Bucky to open some eyes as well because Charbonnet has certainly been the class of the conference. Um, from a counting stance perspective, counting stats perspective, in terms of being in the big games and performing well, he almost had 200 yards against Utah. But Bucky has, I think, kind of quietly because the usage is so low, been one of the more fun running backs in the conference and in the country, in just in terms of carrying the football. And, and this will be an opportunity for him to to maybe turn some turn some heads. Chair, did you pull up the uh, where's the PFF at for those two now? It did, yeah. I pulled it up. They're they're both very close. I think that's kind of obvious at this point. But um, Charbonnet and, and Bucky are seven and eight in offensive total grade um, in their run grade. That uh, Bucky is seventh in the country and Charbonnet is ninth in the country. But that's splitting hairs. Their their run grade for Bucky is eighty eight point six, and for Charbonnet it's eighty eight point three. Um, they're very very similar players in in PFF size as running backs, um, and I think. I don't, I don't know if they're necessarily similar players on the field. I think they have some, some similar, like similar assets, but I think all running backs kind of do if you break it down like that. Um, but they're both pretty damn good. Uh, I think that they're probably two of the best three running backs in the Pac-12. I throw Tra Travis Dye in there. I think Tavia Thomas at, at Utah is maybe a, a tier below. Um, Jaden Ott was great, but when you only run for 35 yards against Colorado, like somehow that, that's not a really not great thing. Um, no, no, not enough at all. Uh, but this is going to be, like I was saying earlier, for, for Oregon's defense, if they choose that three three five look and try to get more speed on the perimeter, um, they're going to have a tough time stopping Charbonnet. And he's averaging over seven yards a carry this season. That's, um, I think that's even more than Bucky Irving at this point. Mm -hmm. um, it's he's, he's an impressive back. He was really great last year. Eric and I, you, we were talking about this earlier where um, – or was this on the, I can't remember if this was on the podcast or just us talking about it, where last season it looked like Britton Brown and Zach Charbonnet almost kind of split the load because it was like a thunder and lightning type of deal. But this year they're really heavy on Zach Charbonnet, and obviously Britton Brown isn't there anymore. But it's uh, he's getting a, a tremendous bulk of the carries, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson has the second most carries on the team. But the difference between Charbonnet and that third or that second running back is huge. Um, and so – for Oregon fans, I wouldn't expect to see anybody else but Charbonnet unless an injury. Um, and for Oregon's defensive line, that only allows 98 yards a game. Uh, this is going to be a long one. Um, just and their their secondary and their, their linebacking core. It's going to be a long game just because you're not sure what they're really going to try to do and try to capitalize and try to like assert their offensive dominance, whether it's in the pass game. It's DTR running around, whether it's designed DTR runs, whether it's designed Charbonnet runs, or just trying to get somebody in open space. Um, it's, a, it's a tough offense. We've uh, we spent a lot of times talking about how good UCLA is offensively, and I think that's justified. I also want to point out last year, Oregon's defense bottled this run game better than any team has. Yep. Um, yeah. you know, and sharp passing, too, for DTR. 
Yeah, Charbonnet ran it 15 times for 35 yards against Oregon last season. Um, and as you said, DTR, I can't remember. I didn't pull up those stats. I was more focused on the run. He part. was 22 of 41 for 220 yards and one touchdown, one interception. Yeah. So, I mean, this is – it's – I think, you know, we – have focused a lot on this offense because it's been really, really good and it's been a tough offense for people to match and obviously a new defensive staff that is it and it's a defense with new kind of defensive strengths and weaknesses, if I, if you ask me. Um, last year's forced a lot of turnovers. That was um, something that they kind of been up and down with. It's like they're on a better rhythm of that of late. But um, and then obviously schematically they're doing things a little more different different differently, I should say. Um, but there is at least should be some confidence and from a personnel perspective, it's quite different, especially up front. But I think there should be at least a little confidence going into this one of, Hey, you know, these guys are, are putting up great numbers, but a year ago we had them in check for, for the majority of this game. Um, and it's going to be a difficult one, but we're capable of, of, uh, of matching up really well. So I'm really excited to kind of get more into it this week when we have a UCLA beat writer on to kind of pick his brain and maybe what's different from a UCLA perspective. And obviously we can kind of weigh into what's different from an Oregon perspective. But uh, I think the matchup on the field when UCLA has the ball and Oregon's on defense is going to be really interesting and really telling. I, I'm happy you brought that up because I wanted to segue to that in a way that last year's game was one of which Kayvon Thibodeau kind of yeah. flexed his muscle mm -hmm. about why he should be in consideration for the number one pick. He had four and a half tackles for loss. He had two sacks in that game. Um, it, he was straight up unstoppable for, for Oregon. UCLA had no answer for him. Who is that guy for Oregon this season? Do they have that type of, of player that can generate that big of a push, um, generate that much attention for the opponent, for UCLA's offensive line to just freak out, where is he? I think the most obvious answer is probably DJ Johnson. Um, mm -hmm. can, can he do that for Oregon? Secondly, probably Brandon Dorless. Um, but for me, maybe it's just the wild card here, but Justin Flo. He's starting to get healthy. This feels like, in some capacity, a game that he could be on the field a little bit more. Maybe that's the replacement of production that Thibodeau had for Oregon last season because, like you mentioned, they bottled up that offense at UCLA. And I think a large part of that was the, the pressure and, and production Thibodeau created himself and the production that was – built off of all the attention solely on Thibodeau. Yeah, I think that's fair analysis. And and that's where I, I do think, I think it's a big Justin flow and it's a big Noah Sewell game. I really do. I, I think, you know, when they were brought in here as the two top rated linebackers in the country several years ago, it was to slow down, bless you, Jared. It was to slow down uh, <laughs> offenses kind of like this. And, because of injury, Justin hasn't really been on the field very much. No, of course, has been really integral for the last couple of years. But I think this year, and we talked about it on last week's show, so I don't want to belabor it. It's been a little underwhelming between these two. But this is a yeah. matchup that really feels like it's an opportunity for these two guys to really show up and kind of make a statement. And um, I'm curious to see what they what shows up there. Um, DJ is the obvious. If there is a comparison in terms of a um, position, why 
right uh, to Kayvon and because they play that same sort of standing edge position. Um, I know Kayvon moves around a little bit more than I think DJ has this year in terms of a hand in his dirt, hand in the dirt. Uh, but I, I think that would be the, the the most logical, just direct kind of substitution replacement because of the position. But from a a talent and ability to slow things down, I really think the inside linebackers are are pivotal this week and. And uh, I'm very curious to see what both of them could do because I think this is a game where you, you should, if everybody's healthy, knock on wood, rely upon those two guys more than you have in the past. I think Jeffrey Bossa can play. I think Jackson LeDuc and Keith Brown could be of value. But if you can get high snap counts and quality snap counts out of those two, I think that's a, a huge, huge part of this for Oregon's defense. I think those are certainly options. I just – the magnitude of what Kayvon Thibodeau did last season just can't be replicated. There's nobody on the team yeah. who can do that um, because he could take a guy one-on-one and just devour him whole basically as a, as a defensive end. Um, that was obviously Kayvon's best game of the season. You're going to need like the best game of, of a career from DJ Johnson or Brandon Dorless to do something replicable. And I know Justin Flo and Noah Sewell are, are you know, two very special and talented interior linebackers. I'm just wondering if UCLA is going to give him that opportunity to run the or to, to rush the passer like that or try to blitz often. If they try to or if they pick up on that and then just use the middle of the field as to their advantage and just send slants over there or just hook routes, hitch routes, something like that. Um, I think they're just going to need to generate pressure from their defensive line, which they have been doing in the last couple of weeks. Um, this is all about containment. I think I would rather see Oregon be able to contain DTR on the edges from DJ Johnson or whoever's playing opposite side of him, whether it's Mace Funa or Trevin Mai um, or Braden Swinson, if he gets a chance to rock this week. Um, I think a, a containment and ability to force DTR to go up the middle on a potential rush where you have Justin Flo or Noah Sewell sitting in, in a coverage or – kind of doing what they did last year where Sewell was the spy on DTR a lot of the times. Um, I, I think that Oregon's secondary, specifically their cornerbacks, match up a lot better against this UCLA core than they do against Arizona's core. Um, I know Jake Bobo is a good player, but he's not Dorian Singer or Jacob Cohen, who are just way better athletes and way better players, in, in, in my opinion. But and I, so maybe Oregon looks to replicate that kind of pressure and, and success in, in a containment package and have somebody spy on DTR 24 um, seven. It's going to take, it's going to take pressure from the defensive line for sure to, to kind of make DTR uncomfortable, which they're capable of doing. But um, I think Dan and, and Lupoy have their hands full on this option, but I think they're going to come up with a different type of solution than, than just sending six or sending five at a time. All right, I think that's probably going to do it for us. It is going to do it for us on this edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, we'll have more coverage leading up to this game. Mike Garrick said we'll have a guest on um, from our UCLA site within the 24-7 Sports Network to get you ready to go preview this game. We'll also have our predictions podcast, and then uh, Saturday night we'll have our post-game wrap-up show to look forward to this week here on the Austin Audible's podcast. But today, I hope you enjoyed a look uh, at Oregon's defense ahead of UCLA's offense, as well as some talk uh, around just this overall big game. We'll be back later this week. And until then, thank you for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.